Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live here on the Believe Podcast Network. And I can say that for the first time here on this Monday, August 16th, to kick off our new partnership, we are welcoming in our bestest and longest running friend of the show, you guys know him. He is Blake Jude. He runs Stripe Hype Cincy and BanglesInsider.com. And he uh, also has the Who or all, Stripe Hype All Day podcast now that you can check out with the link in the description to today's episode. Me and him uh, got together after Saturday on the preseason, which was Sunday morning for him, as you'll come to find out. And we hit a nice little podcast. And we wanted to share that with all of you here. So it's an hour and a half of fun and all the, the weird shenanigans we go down when talking about the NFL here on a Monday. It's not a Stripe Hype Friday or the occasional Stripe Hype Thursday. It is the much rarer Stripe Hype Thursday. I'm sorry, Stripe Hype Monday. Wow, that was a that was a bad move right there. But anyways, should we edit it? Nah, we shouldn't edit it. Let's just get to the conversation with our friend Blake Jude of Stripe Hype Cincy here on a Stripe Hype Monday. What's up? What's up? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Bengals Super Bowl 55 champs already since we beat the Buccaneers. Yes, the Bengals. Okay, this is a perfect place to start because I'd like to just so <laughs> this podcast is going to come out on Monday, but people were recording this Saturday night and kind of Sunday morning, but technically Saturday night. Um, but you, Mr. Blake Jude, who hosts a Bengals podcast and runs a Bengals Instagram, just got to watch Brandon Allen beat the uh, defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a meaningless preseason game, but (laughs) the Bengals did win, while I, on the other hand, got to watch my San Diego Padres get no hit by the worst team in baseball in a to lose three in a row and now come within three games of your terrible Cincinnati Reds from just blowing the wild card in the worst collapse that I'd ever seen, but also Padres just kind of deserve it after the cursed franchise we've been for 55 years. um, Everything couldn't be going better for you and everything couldn't be going worse for my teams right now. Today is a wonderful day to be a Cincinnati (laughs) fan right now. All right. We just watched the Bengals beat the defending and a meaningless game, like you said. But hey, 
I don't care if it's third stringers. We destroyed Kyle Trask today. That's all I care about. All right. This is your so, Super Bowl. This is your Super is, Bowl right now. Listen, we're not winning many other games. All right. <laughs> Let me enjoy this one. All right. Like, no, you can while I just sit in misery because my baseball team just got literally no hit by the worst team in five years in baseball. It makes you feel better. The Reds lost today, too. But I mean, yeah, that was I watched that game at Buffalo Wild Wings and that was a little embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been, a, been a pretty fun day. I've, I've watched a lot of the preseason games already. I watched Justin Fields play today. I watched a little bit of Trevor Lawrence and I've been trying to uh, – I watched the entirety of the Bengals game, of course, because, you know, I'm a big Bengals fan. So, of yeah, course. it was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm so – you probably tell how giddy I am right now. I am so happy football's back. You, I just can't put it into words. Like, I'm, I mean, this is going to be so a great excited. podcast. We have actual football to talk about. I mean, as meaningless as possible, but this is why we create meaning for the preseason is – the preseason hall of fame of course because we have to double up this year it's the oldest bit that i've done from instagram is uh the preseason hall of fame from summer league and uh the what's it called the the nfl um we can induct players into the hall of fame and it's totally random and it's more fun when it's terrible teams but we've inducted preseason hall of famers since 2015 i want to say so there will be Many people to be enshrined in this year's class. So Justin Fields and uh, what's his name? Trey Lance are both fighting for that bid to get that spot in the preseason Hall of Fame. That Trey Lance 80 yard pass was unreal. I mean, like I I knew the moment like he was drafted. I I mean, this guy's got loads of arm talent. It really is just going to be dependent on. Uh, how well he can develop early on. And as you can probably tell from today's game, he is not the most accurate quarterback. <laughs> uh, I believe he's five for 14 right now. That's what it says according to the uh, box score currently. But that 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 shot that he had, man, he has loads of potential and such a strong arm. And it is really exciting to see <clears throat> what they can do with him in the future because he is just extremely talented whenever they give him the chance uh, to, to fully develop into what he can be. Um yeah, really fun game. I watched the Broncos Vikings play a, a good bit. It was pretty much a blowout, but man, how about the just the entirety of the Broncos offense looked unreal today. Uh, hey, KJ Hamler wants a, to bid for Hall the first wide receiver. All those guys. Yeah, I had a huge 80 yard uh, touchdown. Uh, he might have had two touchdowns, uh, maybe, maybe just one, but uh, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke all came out firing on all cylinders and uh, I was watching the Vikings game in specific because the Bengals play the Vikings week one, and I wanted to see how Minnesota would fare. Of course, uh, n- did not get to watch Kirk Cousins play. We did get to see a little bit of Kellen Mond, who might be on the opposite spectrum of the Hall of Fame. He was quite literally <laughs> probably the worst player today when it came yeah. to preseason Patrick performance. Patrick Sertan uh, had a pick six, six too. for 16. Yeah, six for 16, 53 yards total. Jake Brown, he was going to do the interception to certain, but yeah, pretty big blowout there for the Broncos. And, you know, again, it's it's preseason. It means absolutely nothing. But the part I like the most is, you know, these are guys that, I mean, at this point, I have, I'm scouting a lot of players. So I recognize a lot of the lower listed names. AJ Roach, for example, who are the Vikings and rushing today and, and receiving actually, uh, is a running back for Kentucky, who I, of course, had a scouting grade on. He was one of the lowest scouted players I had. Uh, in, in the class this year, but he ended up performing really well, and I was really excited to see that. Um, Darius Hodge, the Bengals linebacker, is actually a guy that I've got to talk to in person a lot. I've interviewed him several times. I was at his pro day. He got to interview, uh, interview him. He, is a, he had 
uh, one sack and another hash sack today for Cincinnati, as well as five quarterback hits and a forced fumble. So he had a fantastic game today as well. Uh, so it's, it's really cool seeing these guys that I recognize and know and have actually got a chance to scout, uh, you know, had the chance to break out and perform really well. It, it's been really fun. I got to watch Jalen Darden to uh, play today. I think I mentioned him a few times in this podcast in North Texas. Uh, he's a wide receiver from the Buccaneers, and uh, he played on pretty much on the second and third team and a little bit on the first team as well, I believe. But they like to use him in a lot of different packages and get him the ball and let him get in the open space, and I love that for Darden. He's going to fit so well in that Buccaneers offense, and he can really be a good piece for them in the future. You are a crazy person. You know that, right? Like the yeah. idea that, that you love this so much and all these prospects that you've been scouting now get to play with a bunch of third stringers and a bunch of them might get cut, but you are a crazy person who loves it, this concept of draft prospects and seeing if they're going to develop into things and, uh, and interviewing Bengals players that will be the third linebacker on the depth chart or whatever it ends up being. If it was up to me, the roster would be, I would say probably a 70-man roster. I genuinely think that would be really cool. If the rosters just, I mean, almost extended almost completely back out to, to the point where teams are basically making no roster cuts. Because, I mean, there are so many talented guys that we don't get to see at all play in regular season. And they're making some really great plays. I watched uh, the Buccaneers tied in. I totally forgot his name, but he had a fantastic game today. Uh, There's I, I wish another I tight end there? I thought there was only yeah. three of them. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's a fourth because uh, I'm looking up his name because I'm sure he led the team in receiving. Yeah, Hudson, uh, Tanner Hudson, uh, tied in for the Buccaneers, had 50 yards receiving today, but he was unreal. Uh, made some ridiculous catches and was really, really fun to watch. Uh, but like you know, obviously there are already three fantastic tight ends for the Buccaneers, so he is not going to get a shot to do anything. He's probably going to end up getting cut or joining the practice squad, and he won't be a big member of the team. But, I mean, this this guy looked legit. He played with the second team and actually was the, probably the biggest problem for the Bengals' defense, ironically. Uh, and, and speaking of the Bengals' defense, they looked fantastic today. I, I hate to harp on the Bengals and see talk about them, but they, they got me hyped up because I'm really excited uh, with Joseph Osai, Cam Sample, and that defense, it looks nice. But, yeah, Hudson had a, a fantastic game. and I mean, that's a guy that deserves a roster spot, but is going to end up not getting one because only having 53 men allows the roster, probably going to only choose three tight ends. That's what normally happens, at least. Uh, and, of course, that's going to be saved for Gronkowski, Brait, and Ho- Howard. Yeah, assuming O.J. Howard's still going to be there by next season. Again, crazy person. You're just a crazy person. Uh, the fact that you love Tanner Hudson and you're, you're hyped about the Bengals, maybe even stripe hyped about the Bengals. But I no, I, 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 I was think, I, when you said that, I thought of that joke and I was going to say it. And, and I, I, stopped my, I stopped myself from saying it, but then I went for it and I, I hate it. Just No, you know as what? I say, it's okay, though. It shouts up my podcast, the Stripe High Ball Day podcast, and we no, uh, we it is, but it's too cheesy even by my standards. I d- <laughs> I told myself, nope, that's a bad joke. I went for it, and it still was a bad joke. So, uh, check out Stripe Hype Cincy. Uh, you can follow on Instagram, and of course, check out the Stripe Hype All Day podcast, which I assume will have an episode coming out after the uh, the Bengals defeated the reigning Super Bowl champions and forced a three and out of Tom Brady. You guys sacked Tom yeah. Brady, and that never happens. The Bengals were the last in the NFL last year in sacks. And what's the first thing that happens? A combined sack from the Bengals, two newly acquired edge rushers, Joseph Osai and Trey Hendricks. And that's got me excited. I'm, I'm really excited for the future of this team. Of course, 
not expecting much still. I mean, this is still a team that's got a lot to develop, and we haven't even seen half the roster yet since they're all gone and, you know, uh, currently trying to rehabilitate from their injuries. But I'm still excited. It, it's a lot to look forward to. And I'm actually going to record another podcast with with uh, my buddy Will on Strive by Ball Day podcast right after this too. So we had episode three person. drop out. You're a crazy right person. Before. It's already Sunday morning where you are. You're just a crazy person. Yep. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna drop a, a post game show basically right after this, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But you know, I'm I'm hyped up today. I'm got ca- I'm caffeinated. I've watched a bunch of football. I am ready to talk about more football. So I have absolutely no problem doing that. Well, you mentioned rehabbing injuries, and while we're on the topic of your beloved Cincinnati Bengals, um, did you see the photo of Joe Burrow doing reps before the game? Because I made the meme, and it kind of went viral, that it, that was the most gigantic leg brace that I've ever seen. And I had a bunch of people just saying, nah, he's got pads on, and it's not actually that big, and they've wrapped it underneath. And I was like, none of that sounds good either way. But I thought that was like the most gigantic leg brace that I've ever seen trying to work on Joe Burrow. While at the same time, Tom Brady's now 44 coming off MCL surgery. And for the first time in 12 years, he's not going to wear a knee brace. Yeah. Well, I, I think the reason why the, the brace itself looks so big is the fact that it wasn't just a, a singular place where the, where the knee was injured. It was an ACL, MCL, and PCL injury. So you have to have pads pretty much across the entire leg to protect all those three uh, muscles, which, which is why I think the brace in particular is, is pretty big. I, I think normally for injuries like that, you probably do see those braces pretty often, but Burrow's injury is so rare and it is very, very rare for a, a caliber of that big of an injury for the player to come back so soon. So I, I do think the Bengals are just trying to be super cautious right now and use that knee brace to make sure there's absolutely no uh, problems uh, when it comes to week one. I, my guess is he probably still does wear the knee, knee brace even during this season as well because he, I mean, the Bengals' entire future is relied on Joe Burrow, so you cannot risk an injury with him. Uh, and he's been working with it a lot throughout practice as well. So, I mean, yes, it is a very big, big knee brace, but I do believe it's actually pretty necessary for the injury Burrow sustained. I mean, you know, we're, we're forgetting. I believe it's a, this is a very similar injury that has <laughs> – finished a lot of careers in the NFL. So mm-hmm. it is pretty fascinating. On Livingston did something back. similar in the NBA. That was like one of the most gruesome injuries. It took him like two years to get back from it. I'm not entirely sure. What was Bo Jackson's injury that got him out? Uh, that was his hip. Was it? Okay. His then hip maybe made him retire from football because he had to get a, he played baseball with an artificial hip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking of some big time player that had a very similar injury to Joe Burrow that finished their career. Not part of me thought it was Bo Jackson, but maybe not. I mean, there's uh, a bunch yeah, of no. knee injuries back in the running backs in the nineties had a bunch of them. That's what, um, you know, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking back then and, and, and running backs because they're normally the most common injuries. Uh, for, for guys the like guy that. who went to Washington. He was the number one pick by the Colts. He was a defensive end, let's say 1992, maybe. Um, but he had a knee injury that was kind of similar that kind of and Steve Etman. That's what I'm thinking of. Steve Etman was a defensive end and he tore a couple of knees and that was basically the end of his career. I mean, so, yeah, Burroughs and pretty much every muscle in the needs other than the meniscus and uh, ligament, not muscle ligament or ligament. Sorry. Yes. My fault. <laughs> Apart from the, the, the meniscus and the part of the PCL was torn. He had a fully torn ACL, fully torn MCL, and a partially damaged PCL, which is, I mean, when you talk about knee injuries, that's about as bad as it gets. Joe Burrow needed every single bit of this offseason to get back onto the field, every bit. And even then, 
the average person would still not be on the field right now. Joe Burrow is just unreal getting back and being able to rehab as quickly as he has. So it has been really impressive to see how fast Joe Burrow's gotten back. And there has been a little bit of news surrounding Bengals training camp that Burrow is um, struggling right now and still trying to get used to it. I would assume the knee brace as well as figuring out how to work around this injury pretty well. Cause a big part of Burrow's game was escaping the pocket, getting to the outside, getting time to find an open receiver and hitting that receiver. But you know, with, with a little bit, I don't want to say a lack of mobility, but with a lot less, of, uh, a bit of a handicap, I guess, when it comes to um, the, the mobility that he has, I guess it can end up being a, a future problem maybe for the team. That's something that they're, they're going to slowly figure out. He's, he's definitely improved so far, uh, and, and it's not all him. There's been a lot of drops, especially with Jamar Chase early on in, in camp. But overall, I mean, it's just a team that's still trying to figure things out and get back and get healthy for sure. But it's a good start here in the preseason. I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. There's something that you talked about a little bit before, which was um, Trey Lance. And a, a lot of the th- one of the things that I think about with preseason is that a lot of preseason play reaffirms the things that we already believe. So for example, I was talking about this with uh, someone about Amari Cooper and CD lamb. And the question about, you know, do, especially with fantasy football, like, do you think CD lamb is going to emerge in the offense? And the way I said is that I think he'll have a breakout season. And also I can't confirm that until we play actual games. So anything that I'm learning now from like a four minute clip on hard knocks doesn't really help me learn anything or change my opinion. It's only going to reaffirm what I already believe. And with that being said, I reaffirm my belief that the 49ers have to start Trey Lance week one. You have to. This is the whole point of trading three first round picks. You have to start him week one. Forget Jimmy Garoppolo sitting on the bench and making $20 million. Like you have to start him week one and just let him ride out the whole season. Don't do the weird thing where you like have packages for Trey Lance while Jimmy starts, like make Trey Lance the starter and just run with it. I've been pretty vocal uh, throughout the draft process uh, about Trey Lance needing development before I feel confident he can join the field. Um, after this training camp and after evaluating a lot of what the 49ers are doing right now, I actually am going to lean towards agreeing with you. Uh, I think at this point, there is no realistic scenario where the 49ers are getting anywhere close to Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. But at the same time, their window is open. They have an opportunity to make a Super Bowl, and that is with Trey Lance. If they're going to get anywhere close to Super Bowl, it's going to have to be with Trey Lance. He has loads of more... I would say intangibles and, and, and things that are just inhumanely possible with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Trey Lance is extremely talented. He's a very, very strong arm, a lot more athleticism. The playbook itself just opens up so much more with Lance. Really the only thing you need to fix and, and figure out is the accuracy issues and decision-making. He does often make some mistakes, but that's normally expected with, with rookies. You're gonna well, have isn't to that the that same things the we were saying about Josh Allen and why we were comparing him to Josh Allen before this? Very similar. I mean, very, very similar. Almost. I mean, I think the only difference is Lance is, 
I would say a, a much more talented runner. And, and I'm not knocking Josh Allen's running ability. He is a very, very good runner when needed. But but Lance used that a lot. It was a part of his game. He was, I believe, the leading rusher for North Dakota State on top of being the starting quarterback. So uh, I think Lance is a lot more dangerous with his legs at the same time while also having a lot of uh, arm strength and lack of accuracy, just like how Josh Allen is. So, it's, so to a certain extent, I think this might be a more risky yet higher ceiling version of Josh Allen, which is a lot because we're considering Josh Allen the top five quarterback right now. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Lance. I had him graded a little bit lower than the top three guys being Fields, Wilson, and um, Lawrence. Uh, but I, I do think he is still definitely, definitely up there in that conversation when it comes to those top four guys. He is definitely you know, that fourth guy in my eyes. And I think that if he could put all the tools together, he's still very raw, as I've said. But there's two ways you can a quarterback can, you know, fix that. One, they can work out their kinks by playing. We've seen that a lot. We've seen it with Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Uh, I think to a certain extent, Tua. Uh, for some of them, it's worked. For some of them, it hasn't necessarily. But they've been able to continue to work out their kinks, figure out what they've done wrong, uh, help adjust to game time, and continue to get better. And I think we're going to see a jump from all three of those quarterbacks this upcoming season. As for other quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, who needed this season to sit back, uh, I guess – you know, develop uh, and, and basically bake an oven until they come out as the perfect quarterback, you know? Um, and for See, Lance, but I want to, I, you know, you know, we disagree on that, but to, your sentiment is true about that. I disagree that I just say now in hindsight, it was the wrong decision to sit Mahomes for a year. I would say that he probably would have done the same things he did in 2018 as he did in 17, but to the point, yeah, they, they did have to work out some kinks and there were some growing pains in the first few years with a lot of these quarterbacks. And, you know, some of them that, you know, that the growing pains never wore out, like, you know, Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones, where we kind of just realized maybe they weren't as good as they were originally. Right, right. But but I think in, in the case of, of Trey Lance, especially with a team like the 49ers, the, the main difference between, I, I think, Trey Lance and guys like Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones is the fact that, you know, Trey Lance is on a roster that is playoff caliber. He is on a much better roster than what both Donald and Daniel Jones were for their roster. Both You both just said it a second were... ago that their Super Bowl window is open. I mean, it might Correct. be closing, and you could argue it's closed because the Rams and the Seahawks are probably deeper rosters, but it's still technically open. I mean, theoretically, they've got like five all-pro players on that team. You, you have two top caliber tackles and Mike McGlinchey and uh, Trent, uh, Trent, oh my God, I can't remember his name for some reason. Trent, Trent Williams. Williams, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm going Trent crazy. Williams. I want to say Trent Taylor because I'm thinking of, pra- of the Bengals. Yes, Are you Trent talking Williams. about like that white receiver that used to be on like the, was it the Bills? I want to say. Yeah, he was on the 49ers and now he's on the Bengals. <laughs> oh, he was on the 49ers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, but but uh, that is the guy I'm thinking of, the wide receiver, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, two top tier tackles. I mean, you have, I think, a very underrated wide receiver core in Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who I think are both going to be very dangerous weapons this year, uh, as well as having a, a you know a, a consistent running back by committee core uh, that is never healthy, but always somehow has a hundred yard rusher every now yeah, and then. Six different hundred yard rushers over the last two seasons. And on top of that, you have a fantastic defensive line. So you have pieces there to work with for sure. Like you have. You a didn't even mention Fred Warner either. Fred Warner is an all-pro Kittle. linebacker. I didn't mention George Kittle. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving out their two superstars, right? I mean, this is, an, this is a great roster. 
a roster that can certainly win a lot of games this year. There, there's a couple weaknesses. I, I think the secondary is still something that has to figure out a little bit. And I think they're, you know, I, I've heard there might be some concerns along the interior offensive line a little bit as well. Um, but I think overall, this is a roster that can definitely go far with good quarterback play. Let me be clear. Jimmy Garoppolo is the absolute, I mean, he is, he's not an F grade, but I mean, he's a D when it comes to good quarterback play. You know, he is right there. He's definition, just he's definition not- of like a, a, a QB purgatory guy, like someone who's kind of worn his welcome in the place that he is, but he's kind of hanging around like QB 16 or QB 17 when there's only like 24 good quarterbacks or 24 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. He's kind of hanging around like 16, 17. Think of the 49ers as like a Harvard University and Jimmy Garoppolo has like a 3.0 GPA. He is just hanging on before he gets just completely just cut out from Harvard, right? Like he's just there. Well, Trey Lance is a guy that's coming into quote unquote Harvard. He could either have a 2.0 GPA or he can have a 4.0, right? Like this guy can be that good. Uh, so I, I think at this point, if, if you are the 49ers, you are looking at a big picture, you're looking at a Super Bowl victory. Lance is going to be that guy to give you it. You're not going to win a Super Bowl with a 3.0 GPA, right? <laughs> Let me just a- say right now, as someone who's hanging around closer to 3.0 than 4.0 right now, I would like to say that you can get a 3.0 This at is Harvard. Harvard. I will I will give you I will give you some some credit. If you can get a 3.0 hanging around at Harvard, that's a that's a B average. I mean, yeah, if I mean you can take is, a B like, average. To be that's fair, okay. though, to be, to be fair, Jimmy Garoppolo is a starting NFL quarterback, which is oh, yeah, pretty okay sure. in itself, right? So I mean, that's kind of yeah. like the same scenario here, like three point I think for right. I mean, I, I'm trying yeah, to like, but it's it's average, and this is the right. this is the decision the 49ers have made, which is either we can blow ourselves up. Or we'll let the market blow us up either way, and then we'll end up in Kirk Cousins nine and seven purgatory for the next three years. But the thing is, you know, I, I hate to be stuck in the middle in, in any case in the NFL. I either want to be at the absolute top, if not, not, not as well put me at the absolute bottom. If I'm not winning, I mean, I want to be in the best position to succeed the next season, correct? And I think Lance gives you the best option to do that. You have the highest ceiling with Trey Lance and maybe the lowest floor. But it is, it, I mean, it is very likely, I think it's just as likely they win 13 games this season than they win five or six. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. Andrew's going to play a big part. I mean, it's going to be a, a lot of different factors factor into this. But Trey Lance gives you that chance to win 13 games. I doubt you're coming close to winning 13 games with Jimmy Garoppolo. And in my eyes, if I'm, if I'm looking at a quarterback battle, I think I'm going with a quarterback that offers me the best chance to be the absolute best. Uh, not necessarily the most consistent. That's why I'm not a huge fan of like Andy Dalton over Justin Fields, for example. I want the quarterback that gives me the best chance to be the best team possible. And I think right now, from what I'm seeing from the 49ers, I think Trey Lance is the guy that can make the 49ers the best. To, to make the, the 49ers the best is what they're going to be, if that makes any sense at all. I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> trying but to word this what's in interesting way. about what you're saying is that if the difference between. 13 and 10 wins for the 49ers is the quarterback. And we both agree. Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of like a, you know, a B average quarterback. He's a tier three to tier four quarterback. I mean, if that's the difference, then you're arguing like Trey Lance is like rookie of the year this year. Uh, He definitely could be. I'm not leaving him out in rookie of the year conversations. He looks like he could win the rookie of the year. Now, He's got Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, that's also somehow 
uh, an elite quarterback in this in this uh, NFL draft class. Yeah, he looked Justin good. Field. He looked he looked good really against good. The Browns. Yeah, yeah. Trevor Lawrence looks legit, and I mean, I stand by with what I said. This guy is. <laughs> It, it really is just all up to Urban Meyer. I, I think the only person that could stop Trevor Lawrence right now is Urban Meyer. But man, if if he can get a good team around them, he's going to be top ten for a long time. Let me just say that. But well, even know, if he doesn't get a good team around him, he could still just be Stafford and just be yeah. a top ten quarterback on terrible teams. I mean, I, I'm looking at Lawrence being closer to Russell Wilson talent wise. But yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that Matt, you know he he's got he's got a lot of potential behind him, uh, and I'm excited to see what he can turn into. But um, you know, on the topic of Trey Lance, I, I mean, you can make an argument maybe Trey Lance's ceiling as a quarterback might be higher than Trevor Lawrence, which sounds crazy, but it, it is somewhat true because Lawrence has a strong arm. But I would argue Trey Lance has a stronger arm. I, I think right now Lawrence has better accuracy. He makes better decisions. I think he overall sees a field. I think quite a bit better than Trey Lance. But if Lance were to develop that in the NFL, we're talking about a top five, top three quarterback talent wise. I mean, he is unreal. I'm still shocked that he played for a division two because this is a guy that could have made a lot of noise in division one and kind of been a top. Well, he's already, he was already a top three pick, but he could have been maybe in the top two discussion had he actually played in division one. Because yeah, there's a there's combined. a really cool story behind that about how he was from uh I think he was from like the middle of nowhere in one of those midwestern it's from your part of the, the country and he um he was he didn't go his dad specifically like didn't send him to any of those like uh football AAU camps or play on those like select teams or whatever it was like very specifically they were like if people want to come watch you they'll come find you. And because of that, and his dad was kind of his coach through most of his early years, he didn't get the same exposure as other top quarterback recruits from his class. And so he ends up going to North Dakota State instead of going to one of those like lower tier schools like a Fresno or something like that in the uh, in the group of five or one of those Mac schools because North Dakota State was. I think like six time champions in a row or six and seven years at the time that he committed there. So a lot of it was that he just didn't get the exposure as a sophomore or junior. And because of that, he kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit, not necessarily that he was terrible as a quarterback. He just didn't get the exposure going through high school to, to make him a five-star recruit. And I I think I like what you said there. And, And I think there's a chance the possibility, despite being picked third overall in the draft this year, he might have fallen through the cracks again. I, I, that's why this is the ceiling Trey Lance has because yeah, he, I don't I mean, disagree this, with this preseason. You. This preseason game is not going is not a testament to what he's going to be in the future. He's not having the best preseason game, but he is showing flashes that can lead to an elite quarterback for a long time. And this feels you know, like I, the exact conversation we were having all through the draft process about Justin Fields and Mac Jones about how. We know we want Justin Fields because, yes, Mac Jones is very accurate, but Justin Fields can do things that Mac Jones physically can't. And that's kind of the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance. Like, Trevor Lawrence is NFL ready. Trevor Lawrence does great things. He's mobile in the pocket and can create plays out of nothing. But Trey Lance can do things both with him running as a playmaker and with him, like, throwing deep passes that might be stronger than Lawrence. Like they're kind of similar in arm strength, but 
can make plays that Trevor Lawrence can't. And it's the rest of the details that'll get him in trouble later. But if you iron those out, look at what happened to Josh Allen last year that made me look like an idiot. Realistically, if you're a quarterback from North Dakota State, you are not going to get anywhere close to being in the top five of the draft if you don't have something that others don't. They got and they got two in the last six years. I don't know if any other I, no, has any other hold, team had two in the last six years of top five quarterbacks. Yeah, but, but let me explain why though. Trey Lance and Carson Wentz both were guys that had more intangibles than any other quarterback in that class. That is the reason why they were so high. Is their intangibles? Right. I mean, realistically, if you are a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes, if you're a Mac Jones playing for North Dakota State, you know, this guy's probably getting drafted fourth, maybe fifth round in the draft this year. He can still be a fine quarterback. He might still be a, a rotational guy. He <laughs> so you're saying, start. So you're saying if Mac Jones goes to North Dakota State, he's basically just Easton Stick. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yes. There's a there's a realistic possibility versus is Easton Stick. You give him North Dakota State's coaching staff. If you give him everything that North Dakota State has, there's a realistic chance I, I, he might, he's probably better at Easton State. Let me, let me make that clear. But because, I mean, of course, he was a high recruit coming in. So he, you know, maybe talent wise, he's a better arm. There are certain things that he's better at. But he is probably getting drafted near the similar areas what Easton State did. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, um, you know, was really, I mean, he, we forget Mac Jones was really struggling whenever uh, Tua Tagovailoa was hurt uh, throughout the process a couple of years back. So, uh, and when Jalen Hurts transferred to Oklahoma. So he had some moments where he he really needed to develop. And Nick Saban did a great job making Mac Jones a quarterback he was. And I want to credit Nick Saban for that. But if we're talking about Mac Jones coming out of high school and to North Dakota State, this he might have been a fourth, fifth, fifth round pick. Even. We're not talking about Mac Jones the same way we are right now. So I mean, to see Easton Sticks so, got to play the second half for the Chargers, so we'll find out if Easton Sticks <laughs> got a little something in the tank. Yeah, we'll see, but he's not passing Herbert by any means. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think for Lance, the only way a quarterback like Lance can earn his spot into the top five of the draft is to show, hey, I have things other quarterbacks don't. I'm playing Division Two; my my competition's a lot easier. I don't have the accuracy. I don't have the vision. The, that Lawrence feels even Mac Jones do, but I have the best arm power. I have the best athleticism. I have the probably just overall the best body to be the most elite quarterback in this class. And that is why he was drafted so high. And that is why the 49ers, if they want to win a Super Bowl, they will ride his back because his potential is to be the best this class and can end up leading this 49ers to be one of the best in the NFL in general. Yeah, and they gave up three first-round picks to do it. Like They, the they gave up all their assets. You might as well live or die with that trade at this point. I mean, to be fair to them, like when you have five all-pro players like the 49ers have, and we did a podcast about this talking about their, um, their salary cap because they and the Colts are the two teams that kind of have to retool over the next few years because – one, Trent Williams is now going to make $26 million, I think, a few years from now. And they traded Buckner for that reason, which was a bad oh. trade. I know Kinlaw is still young, but kind of made a mistake trading DeForest Buckner and signing a Rick Armstead instead. But um, Bosa is going to have that extension coming up. Fred Warner just got the richest contract for any middle linebacker. George Kittle has the richest contract for any tight end. I think Kelsey might have passed him, but one or two. 
And so that's kind of where they look and they're like, well, so we could get this one guy at the top of the draft and pay him the same amount we would pay to those three first round picks basically, and just get it all done at once and then have the cap flexibility of not having to pay $3 million a year to each of those first round picks and maybe, you know, help, help alleviate the stress of giving 75% of our salary cap to these six stars that we have on our team. Yeah, no, totally. And, and the best part is though, you know, once they are in, once they're going to be able to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, you have Lance's rookie contract and that is perfect for the 49ers because this is the opportunity where you will have the most cap flexibility to be able to resign these stars. Mm-hmm. So realistically looking at it from a cap situation, you are so much better off with a rookie quarterback being able to, you know, take away this Jimmy Garoppolo's contract than you are keeping Jimmy Garoppolo as well as those three other starters. Because for one, you're probably not going to win the Super Bowl anyways with that roster with Jimmy Garoppolo and three other first round picks. So at this point, why wouldn't you just go with the younger route that also can lead you to a Super Bowl and probably saves you cap in the long run and keeps your window open for longer? You know, this is a and best very, case scenario. Great- if he turns into a Mahomes or Josh Allen, then all of a sudden you have another superstar on a on a contract that won't need to be extended for five seasons because of the four years plus the fifth year option. So, it, best case right. scenario, you get the same thing that happened to the Chiefs, where the Chiefs got the quarterback on the rookie contract, or the Ravens got the quarterback on the rookie contract, who was a superstar and then you could sign a Tyran Matthew in free agency. You could, you know, sign a Calais Campbell or, you know, do whatever else those teams have done to help build Super Bowl champions or Super Bowl champions and Ravens who have been one of the best teams over the last couple of years. Yeah. If I was the 49ers, you know, I, I want to say I, I would I would still, if I can make the decision, pick Justin Fields over Trey Lance. And I'd like to stay like to continue to say that because I am speaking very high on Trey Lance right now, but he was my quarterback four. Uh, and I had Justin Fields pretty clearly above him, as well as being above Zach Wilson. Justin Fields was my, was my QB two. Uh, and, and I think the only reason why uh, or the main reason why I, I say that is because I, I think for the 49ers, realistically, Lance might have the highest ceiling, but I, I do think there is a much bigger chance Justin Fields leads them to uh, the team's Super Bowl chances. I think there's a much there's a bigger guarantee, right? Because Lance is a lot more of a risk because, as I said, he's a very raw prospect. Still, there's still a lot of accuracy issues, decision-making issues, rookie issues that he has to iron out. And granted, Fields has some as well. He has some accuracy issues. He has some of the problems. But I think we've seen Fields prove a lot more that he, those issues for him are fixable than for Trey Lance, which have – been up and down because Trey Lance in Division Two is his only game that he played in 2020. He struggled a lot in passing the ball, was very inaccurate, and basically had to rely on his legs the entire time. So we don't know if this is just a problem that's going to be there forever for Lance or if it's fixable. While as for Fields, we know that he has struggled from time to time, but he has had games where he is on point. So we know if we can get him consistently doing that, he could definitely be that guy. So I think there's more of a guarantee for Fields than there is for Lance, but Lance certainly, if he can find those act- fixes and accuracy, I mean, this is, we're talking about a guy that is almost unstoppable in all forces. I mean, he is unreal at this point. Do we want to celebrate Justin Fields a little bit? Because I, he went two for six for 10 yards in the first couple drives that he had. But after that, two fumbles. perfect yeah. QBR after that. Yeah, uh, bounce back. Fantastic. And I was very happy to see that 
really was really worried. The first two guys, as you mentioned, uh, had two fumbles and ended up, I believe, losing one of them uh, and really struggled with, uh, with the ball at first, but picked it up after that and performed really well. I, w- I was really happy with Phil's performance uh, and, and I'm excited for Bears fans because man, they've have, they haven't had this forever. <laughs> they have it not had to had happen at excitement. some point. That's what I'm telling myself now as someone who's been beefing with Bears fans for years, you were going to have to get a good quarterback at some point. It was going to have to happen eventually. I mean, 14 for 20, 142 yards and a touchdown. I believe I also had a rushing touchdown as well. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, five rushes, 33 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was on point today, as you mentioned. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, where he goes for the future. I mean, this is a Bears team. And, and I, I believe they were using this as an excuse that the first couple of drives he had. Uh, you know, this is a Bears team that doesn't have the best wide receiver core. You have Allen Robinson and Darnell Moody, but outside of that, and I've mentioned this multiple times, uh, no Anthony Miller anymore. You have not many guys at all after those two players. So especially playing with the second team, which Justin Fields did a lot in this game, he found ways to get other receivers involved, guys that I haven't even heard of. And he has really, I mean, he made the team around him better. And that's what you look for at a quarterback. You want to see, uh, you know, you want to see quarterbacks make their team better. And uh, Rodney Adams was a guy that was, uh, you know, noted pretty well, having four receptions, 57 yards, uh, having a really good game, as well as, you know, the, the good name, Justin James, which is, we haven't talked about yeah, quite a while. I, a I sent game. someone I sent someone a text when I saw him. Uh, did he have a touch? Yeah, he had the touchdown. Yep. And right. I sent someone a text that said, it makes me feel good to know that there's still a place in the NFL for Jesse James. <laughs> I, right. I, I, mean, I kind of lost him for the past couple of years. I think he was in Detroit and got, he got a contract with Detroit, I think, and kind of disappeared, but yeah. glad there's still a place in the league for Jesse James and all eight of the bears tight ends. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're seeing fields, get these guys involved. guys that we haven't heard of in a long time or haven't heard of at all. And it's good to see that because we, we do know that it's going to be easier for fields. Once he's able to get this first team with him, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, you're going to have good players in the roster that you can work with. Uh, of course, there will be stiffer competition, but at the same time, you know, you're going to have more opportunities uh, to throw to better receivers. And that's good for him, but to see him be able to take advantage of, uh, you know, uh, I think of just, or take advantage of his spot really where he was put in the second team, third team, uh, because he played almost the majority of almost all the snaps of the bears after the first quarter. Um, you know, Nick Foles Foles got one garbage time drive at the end. Nick Foles got his pity drive to end the game. Right. But you know, outside of that, uh, you know, if you pretty much controlled the, the entire game and it was really good to see him work with a lot of these different teams and, and recognize when guys were open. I mean, just making good plays and, 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 you know, taking advantage of the mistakes the second and third teams were making, you know, there, there are often times where we see rookies early on struggle with second and third teams. And you do worry about that. Zach Wilson did not have the best performances early or so far in the preseason, but I, I will say, I, I think we saw from fields. He passed the eye test today. That's really all you can ask for. If you're a Bears fan right now, is to see him pass the eye test. And he certainly did. You're, you're, you were worried about the first two drives, but once he got comfortable and in the game, man, he was unstoppable, and that's really good to see. I dare Matt Nackey to start Andy Dalton week one. I dare you to do it. I dare I you hope to he does be that because he, I believe the Bengals play the Bears week two. So, I, I, is it week two? I don't know. Maybe a little bit later. Uh, but your your odds are kind of hanging yep. up in the air right now. Week two. Yeah, week two. So I, I'm, I'm hoping for an Andy Dalton start week two. So let's, let's not. Is that what not. they're going to do? They're just going to get him through week two and then like Sam Bradford his ass and put him on the bench in week three? 
Yeah, that's what I hope happens because that means the Bengals won week two. So, uh, yes, <laughs> let's let's hope for let's hope for Andy Dalton starting the first two weeks and Matt Nagy gets fired and Justin Fields starts and finishes the rest of the season. That's probably what's gonna happen anyway. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun stats around Andy Dalton after that. Like they pay Andy Dalton four million dollars a start, basically. Um, yeah. They gave him ten million dollars, and so we can laugh at it like we laughed at Sam Bradford because. Uh, Steve Wilkes gave that one year that they were terrible. They gave Sam Bradford twelve and a half million dollars, and he started two and a half games for the Carol for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Um, yep. Which is can be saying the same for Jimmy Garoppolo as well. If Trayland starts, yeah, but they kind of signed up for that. They they signed right. up for paying Jimmy Garoppolo twenty five million dollars to be a backup. Two point. Yeah, so maybe they can trade Garoppolo. Maybe the Bears can trade Nick Foles. Both of those should be done at some point who's, here. But who's taking those guys? Though? I mean, unless an injury happens, right? I mean, I mean maybe the Colts. We did, they yeah, I was going to say we didn't laugh enough at the Colts losing their guy. The Steelers should be doing it. That's the, first and foremost. The they Steelers should be doing that. Haskins look nice. You see, you watch Haskins play. He looked pretty good. I'm just. Can we not like, <laughs> okay, I know all right. <laughs> like the, the fact that Haskins Listen. is being considered right now is an indictment of big Ben more than it is like pro Haskins. Um, Cause I'm trying to redeem myself for putting Haskins as QB two in that class. Let me, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let I me, mean, let me defend myself. I mean, did you see drew lock today? I mean, whoo, he looked good. <laughs> yeah. He looked really good. So, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully those quarterbacks, I'll take a bit of a leap because outside of Kyler Murray, that class looked rough. <laughs> I mean, Minshew's there. I mean, that's that's a gem. But apparently, Minshew's going to beat Trevor Lawrence for the starting quarterback position, according to <laughs> Urban yeah, Myers. No, nah, we can we can put <laughs> that, that away. Um, <laughs> that was hilarious. I mean, one of these teams is going to lose their quarterback, right? Like someone's someone's got it. I mean, we got lucky with quarterback injuries last year. There weren't that many, other than like Dak shattering Burrow. his leg, but and Burrow shattering got, his knee. <laughs> yeah, and well, I forgot about Joe Burrow too. Yeah. Uh, but I remember 2019, like the, the top seven quarterback or like seven of the starting quarterbacks in the AFC alone got hurt. Like it was like big right. Ben went out and then drew Brees went out and Sam Darnold got mono and like everyone was hurt during that year. Um, what's it? Joe Flacco got hurt that year. Um, I'm trying to think back now. Obviously I mentioned big Ben tore his elbow. Oh, Mason Rudolph got a concussion after big Ben tore his elbow. Uh, there was just so many weird injuries. Marcus Mariota got hurt that year. And then Tannehill ended up taking over cause he got benched. And that was just such a weird year with all the injuries. So someone's going to need a backup at some point. Right. Right. Well, maybe? I mean, there's a lot of teams that have trust in their backups already. You, you know, you have, you know, I, I mentioned Kellen having a terrible time earlier, but if you lose Kirk Cousins, I mean, I'm sure the Minnesota Vikings want to see what they have in a guy like Kellen Mond if he were to go down, right? You know, Marcus Mariota yeah. is going to be a reliable backup for whoever gets injured ahead of him. You have this guys is like just a question from- of whether or not you think Colt McCoy is a serviceable backup. Like, a lot of teams have Colt McCoys on their backup list. They're, they're, I mean, I would say about half the NFL has like those, you know, like you said, Colt McCoy's, Blaine Gabbert's, you know, type guys that you're like, all right, I mean, they're not anything special. Hey, 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 that's Super Bowl champion Blaine Gabbert to you. He was terrible today for Tampa. So I'm making fun of him a little bit because the Bengals messed him up. Actually, I believe he had one touchdown drive, so I might be a little bit wrong on that. But, uh, but it's know, Blaine I mean, Gabbert. It's, it's Blaine, Blaine Gabbert. Gabbert. Yeah, it's terrible. It's Blaine Gabbert. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, 
may, there are a few teams like that, but I mean, it's not all 32. Like, I mean, I'm almost yeah, certain it's just that the Bengals not... will lose Joe Burrow again. They're riding out with Brandon Allen again, which annoys me, but it's true at the same time. And there's a lot of yeah, teams that are like just, that. It's whether or not your team is okay doing that. Like if your team is, thinks that the difference between Gardner Minshew and AJ McCarron is not that significant. Like if you're not willing to give up a draft pick or two, or a, a you know a day two draft pick to upgrade your quarterback position from right. you know a definite backup like a Chase Daniel or an AJ McCarron to a fringe starter like Gardner Minshew or Nick Foles or I forgot who else we were talking about before but those two stick out for sure. I would have thought the Colts would be one of those teams to do it after losing Darnold, but for one, it turns that Darnold might be a little bit. Might be able to come back earlier than what we or McDonald, excuse me, wins. Might be able to come back, might be able to come back a little bit earlier than what we thought, which is good. But also, um, they also have guys like Easton and Ellinger who they have showed a lot of trust in. And there's a lot of teams that have Easton and Ellingers of the world right now that they just have a little bit of trust in for some reason. And so and I don't yeah, necessarily agree with it. It's their guy because they have their right. guy and they know they're not going to get someone else. And I mean, I think at this point the quarterback position itself has gotten really deep. Like we have a lot of guys who are, you know, I, I think promising prospects or, uh, you know, experienced uh, veteran guys that can, you know, do all right for, for, for their team. So uh, I, I think at this point, it's a little, it's a little awkward for you know, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and stuff like that to be traded. I mean, of course, if they were to be traded, they're expected to start. No team's going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo to not start, but what team is going to be willing to, pay Jimmy Garoppolo 20 million more dollars than what their backup is already if they already have trust in that guy right yeah the answer is probably nobody and the 49ers would have to eat some money to trade Garoppolo and I think that's why Garoppolo is still on the team right now is just because they don't want to eat the money correct yeah absolutely right yeah Yeah. I I think Garoppolo has I mean Garoppolo is in a pretty solid position to be a bridge quarterback for anyone. One really wants a bridge quarterback right now because they already have guys in the house that they already want. That was the point I was trying to make. You mentioned the depth of the quarterback position. And like I mentioned before, there's like 24 starting level quarterbacks in the NFL. Like the, the yep. cutoff point is starting to feel like Sam Darnold. Like Sam Darnold is kind of the cutoff of starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL. But after that, you've still got like 20 backups. Like there's 20 backup level quarterbacks that like I would want on my team as my second quarterback, like from right. Jacoby Brissett to Tyrod Taylor. Like I would want those guys as my backup. All right. So I actually did a top 32 quarterback list during the preseason this year. Uh, and I, I would say, to be quite honest, my cutoff list might even be. Oh, it's I mean, I had a starting level quarterback, like someone you you want as your starting quarterback on your team and not as your backup. Okay, so are we are we factoring in the fact that some of our rookies? Because, like for example, I have uh, I have uh, Zach Wilson at twenty four because he's a rookie, right? So yeah, I think I I, so the way I do it is tier one, tier two, tier three, which are the guys that we obviously know are starters. QB purgatory, which is mostly tier three guys who are just kind of like worn out their welcome with the teams they're on, like Derek Carr, Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, guys like that. Then I just have a category that I just say it's too early to tell. Like um, all the rookies this year are too early to tell. Um, Zach, um, Justin Herbert, we know is probably there, but um, Tua, too early to tell. 
um, Joe Burrow, too early to tell. Daniel Jones, too early to tell. Um, Darnold, you could argue, maybe too early to tell where he is, but we just know he's not a top 15 guy. So I'd say, yeah, for sure. You can throw those guys in the mix, too. Okay, well, uh, I'll go ahead and say I'm going to include Tua, Zach Wilson, all the rookies pretty much. In yeah, the, I would. I'm I would, okay I with starting him list. Yeah, with, I would yeah, too. Like, so oh, so uh, including those guys, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say who they are. I have um, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts, Zach Wilson, all below 24, but I'm going to put them, bump them up instead of start them. I would say the cutoff line after that. I would, I would agree probably, with you, except for Jalen. I would say Jalen Hurts. I would not put in that group, but I would give him too early to tell. Also, but I will, I will give him some leeway in there. All right, that's fine. Uh, so I, I would say my personal cutoff line is right after Ben Roethlisberger, which is like Big Ben, Jameis Winston, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Sam Darnold, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jared Goff, Andy Dalton, Daniel Jones, Cam Newton, Drew Law, Jacob Easton, which is my list. Um, Did you have Teddy Bridgewater in there or is Teddy Bridgewater even further down? I'm doing starting quarterbacks only. And I I included Locke because he's the supposed starter, but I I would say, you know, Bridgewater, honestly, I might put a leg above Locke. I would say um, right now at least, but uh, I I think, you know, for the Broncos, they're looking towards, you know, Locke being their future anyway. So you want to go with the quarterback that you think can lead them to their future, which is, which is Drew Locke. So I would have Bridgewater maybe a little bit higher and I might include him later on, but, uh, I just wanted to include uh, starting quarterbacks only right now. So how many is that that you named? Like seven or eight? So that would mean that's the 32 starters. If seven or eight teams don't have a starting caliber quarterback, that'd be like 25. I included included Easton over Wentz since Wentz has been hurt because I'm assuming Easton's the week one starter. So yeah, Easton, Locke, Newton, Jones, Dalton, Goff, uh, Darnold, Fitzpatrick, Garoppolo, and then you can argue whether or not Winston and Roethlisberger are, are part of that starting caliber worthy right now because those are two guys that are, you know, Winston, we, we, it's really just a wild card at quarterback. And Roethlisberger, is, as long as he could stay the way he was before, he's fine. But if he played like anything like he did last season, he might not be. What I'm hearing is eight, but also mm, you mentioned nine. Garoppolo and, huh? Nine, that was nine. Nine. Yeah. So, well, the Garoppolo one is weird because would you put Trey Lance in the other tier then? Would you put Trey yes. Lance and the guys who count for starters? Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I, I would if he was the starter, but I'm assuming Jimmy Garoppolo week one is the starter, which is why I included him uh, as uh, below the list. Because for, for, for me, like I said, I'm, I'm talking about like, uh, we're, we're talking about quarterbacks that we would be okay with starting for our team, right? I'm assuming everyone would be okay with having a rookie start because you know that you can develop them into what you want them to be. So if we got like Lance, like I said, Tua, because like that, it's easier for me to start them because you can you can turn them into something you want them to become. But for guys yeah. like for guys like uh, Teddy Bridgewater, for example, um, I would say at this point probably Daniel Jones, uh, they're they're going to be what they already are, right? They're not going to be much different, which is why I think uh, they don't have the talent for me to be comfortable with them being my, being my starting quarterback long term. I agree so with you on Bridgewater. Daniel Jones, I'm willing to ride it out. I'm willing to give Daniel Jones more time. Uh, Drew Locke, uh, that's I cool with me. Yeah, Drew this Locke's is this is the season. This is the season we'll decide on Daniel Jones whether or not that's the case. But yeah, yeah. maybe a better example was like uh, Andy Dalton. That's another good example. I mean, he's, no, he's I think, he is what I think he is. Daniel Jones. If you if you think Daniel Jones isn't there, I totally understand it. Like he hasn't shown very much over the first two years. 
So I get it there. I'm just willing to give him more leeway. Um, but I know a lot of people kind of, I mean, like with Drew Locke, I would not give Drew Locke more leeway. I know Drew Locke's not good. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I really see, I have Daniel Jones ahead of Drew Locke on this list, but I believe like five spots. So I definitely think Daniel Jones is the better quarterback. But I mean, what does Daniel Jones show you to differentiate himself much from Drew Locke at this point to, to earn that? extra leeway what what are they showing to you to prove that i think daniel jones can make plays with his feet and actually like run the ball for first downs um with drew lock it's more just a scramble thing where he can get away from pressure with his feet but he's not necessarily making his plays with his feet it reminds me of um i was watching a little bit of packer game against the texans tonight and jordan love had a play where he got, he stepped up in the pocket and the, the line opened up and he could have had like a six yard run. And instead of running it, he threw a screen pass to AJ Dillon. Like it wouldn't have been a huge run. It would have been like six, seven yards and maybe he dives for a first down, but he ended up taking the screen pass for three yards instead, because we don't think of Jordan Love as someone who's like, they're creating design runs for Drew Locke. Like the beauty for Daniel Jones, I'll at least say is that if you use him right, you can create design runs and use more RPOs and read option plays. So I would say you can be more versatile with the giants offense with Daniel Jones, even if he, him and drew lock are both not exactly accurate, both middle of the field, turn the ball over a lot. Daniel Jones has a bit of a fumbling problem that is correctable. Um, But I think the thing that's holding out hope for Daniel Jones is that they can actually use him as a, as an option in the running game, as opposed to drew lock. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I would argue, I think Daniel Jones allows you to open up your playbook a lot more. He's a lot more flexible to do different things. Like you mentioned, he's a lot more versatile. Uh, while I, I think for me, I, I would say Locke has a better arm than Daniel Jones, but is much more stuck to being the pocket passing quarterback, right? So it yeah, really I mean, is if, a matter of if their of, accuracies of are the same, then does the big arm really help you that much? I mean, it, like I said, it just depends on the scheme, really. I, I would say, though, I mean, all things considered for Drew Locke, the Broncos have really done a great job of building around him. Like he should definitely be there by now, which is why I would understand your argument. I think at this point, you know, Locke has almost all the items he needs to be successful. I would say this is probably the first year Daniel Jones has his. So that's a, I think it's a very fair argument. Yeah. I think Daniel Jones inherited a worse situation than Drew Locke, which gives him a little bit of leeway because that first year with the Giants was bad. That team was yeah. really bad in 2019. And, you know, Saquon Barkley did get injured last year, but I don't know if they can count exactly on Saquon Barkley to be 1,800 yards. I think he had 2,000 all-purpose yards as a rookie. I don't know if they can count on that guy to be there uh, anymore in his career. So, Which is disappointing because um, he is the most talented running back in the NFL right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he's still going to be really talented, but I don't know if – if a 1200 yard rusher, if he's like the fifth leading rusher in the NFL, if that really moves the needle for me in terms of the giants being better, because they do have so many holes, not just on the offense, but also um, defense is the defense is okay. I mean, I think they were ranked 11th in the league in DVOA last year, but a good secondary. Yeah, no, they, they, of that front, front seven, that big issue for sure. Yeah. I would, I would be shocked if they jumped into the top five this year, I would be, I would, yeah. someone would they have won. to take a significant leap on defense for them to get into the right. top five. 
yeah, you're, you're requiring a breakout star. They, they do have some guys to work with. They have like, uh, you know, your real peppers, uh, James Bradbury, Demarcus Lawrence, guys like that who are pretty solid, but you don't have anyone, uh, that I think you don't have a difference. Make. You don't have a TJ Watt necessarily. You know what I mean? Like you don't have yeah. a guy that can I mean, make an like James Bradbury was a right really now. good signing, but right. he's only so much that he can help. Every, every elite defense needs an elite pass rusher. The Giants don't have that. That's really what's kicking their butts right now. If they had a Miles Garrett, we're talking about something very different about the Giants' defense. All of a sudden, they are right in the conversation to be near the top. But yeah, they just they need a Bosa. And they just need a Bosa. That's all they need. That's all they need. Or maybe it's Josh Allen, because they passed on Josh Allen for Daniel Jones back in 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are. Yeah, I agree with you. That would, that would have been a much better pick for me. But yeah, no, I, I think that's there is a chance for them to get up to that point, but they are, they just don't have that star pass rusher yet. So I'm not considering them to be uh, too great on defense. And, you know, their offensive line is definitely mediocre. Still a lot of question marks about Andrew Thomas, guys like that uh, who are young, but are still guys that need to develop some more. Um, I like the wide receiver core now. Uh, you know, we talked about Evan Ingram a couple of podcasts ago about our thoughts on him. Uh, so I mean, I've never you know, seen you so angry at a player like you were angry and lashing out at Evan Ingram because I, think only- I, I am I have stuck with Evan Ingram a lot longer than the average NFL person I was like I'm defending this guy this guy could be basically what we think of now as Darren Waller like if he could be that good and I kept saying that and I was like an idiot defending Evan Ingram so I am done with it like get off the field <laughs> no let's, you're let's over. do Kyle Rudolph oh you want to go to red all Rudolph the red zone reindeer that's that's never I mean it's not sexy but he'll, he'll give you he'll give you like Danny four touchdowns to Rudolph the red zone reindeer I like that yeah. Rudolph the red zone reindeer they made a whole song about it back in like 2017 oh, during that I gotta hear it now yeah, I got I got to find it somewhere. Vikings fans made a whole song about Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer back. It was the year after the Case Keenum year. So I think it was Kirk Cousins' first season, whatever that was, 2018, I think, that they made a whole song about Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer. It's actually pretty good. I'm not I'm not going to lie. It was it was clever. I'll, it wasn't it wasn't like funny. It was clever though. So, I'll I'll give him that. Yeah, <laughs> even though we kind of know he's not that. He's probably like done uh, for the most part with being like a regular starting tight end. But, uh, and you know, Ingram has his moments for sure, but he's just far too inconsistent for me to be anywhere confident in Evan Ingram being a regular starting tight end. So that's why, that's why yeah. I threw it out. And but back- the big picture is oh. this Giants roster has. Sorry. All, right. All I was going to say was uh, the, the Giants have like the overall like roster to be like. So and, and basically take away any excuses for Daniel Jones to not be good, but they haven't had that in so long, right? Like th- this has been a long time for them, and their roster was so bad back then, and now they're finally starting to get those pieces, but still have some missing at the same time. So they've just enough to make it to where Daniel Jones has no excuse to be bad, but I think they also have an excuse to not make the playoffs because obviously this roster is not as star-studded as some of these other teams are. Yeah, this is the weird curse for Giants fans this year is that they might win a meaningless playoff game and then have to decide whether or not they're going to extend Daniel Jones when there's pretty much no reason you should extend Daniel Jones. So secretly, you might be like the Bears where you're rooting for them to miss the playoffs so you can end that abusive relationship that they had with Trubisky so that maybe just maybe they can uh, try and get better from Daniel Jones. Maybe they find their own Jameis Winston and climb their way oh they could sign Mariota how about that how about bringing Mariota to compete with him they do similar things 
Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm still, ironically, I'm just, I'm killing Ingram, but I'm still believing in Marcus Mariota. I want to see him get another shot at starting. Yeah. yeah the only, I, the I'm problem with Mariota is not Mariota's the skills. Game. I it's loved him in that, college. Yeah. The problem with Mariota is just that he's always questionable to return. He's just always questionable to return. And at, before he even starts playing, he's <laughs> questionable to return. It's just automatic. Yeah, no, it's pretty much been his whole career at this point. Yeah. Back to your point on the quarterbacks, too. I mean, you listed the starters, and then you could go down the list because we didn't, you know, you could go to the top-end backups like Tyrod Taylor, Case Keenum, Trubisky, um, Jacoby Brissett. Like, there's another handful of guys there where, you know, the Minshews and the Foles kind of, like, mix in there where we're not quite sure what they are. Nick Foles, Nick Foles just doesn't make sense, but I think we kind of know now that Nick Foles is a lower end backup who needs only the best of circumstances for things to go right. But you could argue that there's a dozen Nick Foles like that, where under the best of circumstances, they can do good things. Look at Jacoby Brissett, the best of circumstances. Jacoby Brissett could do great things for the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots. So there's a host of good backup quarterbacks. Did you, did you know he was a Miami Dolphin now? Yeah, I did actually. Um, but it was, I, I love that uh, the Dolphins decided that they didn't, or Fitzmagic didn't want to go. And then they got one of the good backup quarterbacks while like, you know, the Arizona Cardinals are going between like Colt McCoy's and Drew Stanton's for like 10 years. And they, I don't think they've ever had a good backup. I think they had Brett Hundley for a while too. Um, but even when they didn't have starting quarterbacks, they couldn't even get a good backup quarterback, but the dolphins just like rotated one out and got one of the good backups. So they were willing to invest a little extra cash in that higher end backup quarterback. Yeah. No, that just kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that until now I was just looking at some of the, the preseason games and stuff. And I noticed, uh, I was looking at the, the, uh, dolphins game and I, I just noticed that the, uh, Jacoby Brissett was the backup quarterback for some reason. I'm sorry. You can go on with your point. Well, there was, it was one of those that I laughed to the point on backup quarterbacks. I was just going to say, it's not something you realize you want a high end backup quarterback until you don't have until AJ McCarron is playing for your team. You don't realize how much you want a high end backup quarterback. Right. Yeah. By the way, I also very, very very good point. And, And ideally, I, ideally, you never need a backup quarterback, right? Like, I mean, that's like that, that's the dream. If you have a backup quarterback, something's not going right with your starter. So, you know, you're you're hoping that you never have to have, uh, uh in you know, uh, uh, Chad Henney come in for Patrick Mahomes, right? Ah, so, uh, yes, yeah. Chad Henney and Matt Moore. Matt Moore is no longer <laughs> on a team though, but there's this, Matt Moore. this wide yeah. run of backup quarterbacks who used to be starters. Oh, I remember the joke I was going to make. It was a good one too. Uh. Tyrod Taylor has had a great Tyrod Taylor has had a great career the same way that Matt Schaub had a great career. So that it was pretty great. Wasn't stellar, but good enough to have a six year, seven year run as a starting quarterback. Was it for that long for Tyrod Taylor? I remember a good time where Matt Schaub was like legit. I believe he beat the Bengals in the playoffs once actually. <laughs> so I mean I can't I can't just uh you know I can't um I guess uh get, speak down on Matt Schaub too much because he kind of owned us <laughs> yeah a bit I mean, his career. it's not the worst thing in the world by the way for 
Tyrod Taylor, he was the Bills starting quarterback for three seasons. He was the Bills starting quarterback and then went to Cleveland, got replaced, went to the Chargers, got replaced, and then ended up in Houston. So it was a three-year run. Matt Schaub probably lasted a little bit longer than Tyrod Taylor, but Tyrod Taylor, does he get credit for being the backup on a Super Bowl team? Does that give him some props? No. No? He doesn't He doesn't get the Blaine Gabbert <laughs> really. bonus? I mean, unless he, unless he played and actually won games for him, I don't see how you could – how you deserve it. I mean, you know, of course he gets the ring. You know, I mean, hey, hey I mean, I'm sure he's a good locker room presence, helps out guys and stuff like that. But, I mean, what – you know, he's not making a difference on the field. Matt Schaub got to be a starter for seven years. So seven years plus did win a playoff game. So that's a little bit of credit, a little bit of credit to Matt Schaub. So maybe, maybe I am a, maybe I'm giving Matt Schaub a little too much crap. He had a, he had a seven year run with yeah. Gary Kubiak. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, Matt, Matt Schaub's not, you know, he's no slouch, you know, he, he's well past his prime by now, but he was pretty solid back then. I think Matt Schaub's retired now. I think he just retired last year. Did he? Yeah, I think he is. I think because AJ McCarron was the court was the backup for the Falcons. Now I was like, oh, that's where AJ McCarron is now. Almost. Yeah, I was. I remember the days. I remember we always thought, or we thought us Bengals fans, AJ McCarron was the future of the Bengals. Man, where did those days go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those days when you changed because he he was really good. Yes, when you were desperately hoping that someone would come along to replace Andy Dalton, but it was never to be the case. Till Joe Burrow, who Same you're going to ruin. Marvin Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> hold on, Marvin Lewis. Hold on, hey, don't no Joe Burrow slander. It's not Joe Burrow slander. It's Bengals slander. This is the thing I said about the draft and with Jamar Chase. If you're going to ruin Joe Burrow, at least let him play with his friends. Like if you're going to ruin his career, hey, regardless, B- Bengals. Cincinnati allowed zero sacks in today's game, today's preseason game, which I mean, hey, it's preseason, but it's a good sign. You know, we did we did see Joe Tryon basically kill Brandon Allen, but in our defense, we didn't even try to block him. So I mean, yeah, like, he was a free runner. Yeah, this is this is going to be a fun year coming up for the Bengals because we're going to find out whether or not this is all going to go downhill from here and. You know, bring in Joe Brady to maybe save us from our mediocrity. But uh, I'm sorry, but that division's so good now that you guys get to be the butts of the jokes for the next uh, for the next decade. Because now Cleveland finally escaped purgatory. Maybe it's Pittsburgh's time because their offensive line looks terrible. Do you see Pittsburgh going three and thirteen anytime soon? No, but like I have hope. <laughs> I, I, Pittsburgh is their defense is unreal. I, I mean, I, I totally forgot they signed Melvin Ingram, and now they have Joe Schobert. I mean, their defense is unstoppable. So they're going to find a way to win nine, game, nine, ten games just because of their defense. But yeah, their offense looks rough, though. I guess well, that would mean they're, they're fighting for that playoff spot. Pretty bad too, I believe. Yeah, yeah, their their defense looks pretty rough, though. I'm, uh, or not defense, uh, secondary. Uh, uh, they have Joe Hayden, uh, Cam Sutton, and I believe their other corner is Justin Lane right now. So I mean, that's you know, you lose uh, Steven Nelson and Mike Hilton in free agency. That's 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 quite a big loss for their defense. But you know, I mean, they still have easily, I would say, top five defense at the moment. And 
if you can get Big Ben to be somewhat like the way he was at the beginning of last season, then you're you're doing fine, I think. And you, of course, you have Najee Harris now, so you know. But yeah, they're going to find a way to win nine, ten games just because it's Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. But make one of those teams feel our pain. <laughs> <laughs> so your your hope is that the Steelers just miraculously fall off the table because this is something that was interesting because when you guys got good and you went to the playoffs like five years in a row and then didn't win a single playoff game uh, yeah. Pittsburgh was good that. during those times but Baltimore was the team that stunk Baltimore had won I think five and eleven season in there where they ended up getting Ronnie Stanley but Baltimore was the team that ended up sucking so that you guys could be good which I was thinking about this the other day with the AFC West is that the chiefs have now become so dominant that the chargers Broncos and Raiders are now all becoming what the AFC East was during the Patriots dynasty, where it's just terrible team after terrible team with the bills and the dolphins and the jets always being terrible. And then the one time that the Patriots kind of declined, Mark Sanchez filled the void and Rex Ryan filled the void. Um, But in between it's just terrible team after terrible team in that division because the Patriots were always at the top. And so because you could never get to the Patriots, you just had mediocrity for 20 years with the Dolphins and the Bills and the Jets. And the Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders are slowly becoming that over the last half decade. I have a good feeling it's ending pretty soon with uh, Los Angeles because they look they look like they're going to be legit too. So we'll see, but yeah, no, I, I do, I do agree with you. You have that that one like fifteen and two team that is just so good. Everyone else in the division sucks, but the problem is for the AFC North, like you have really good teams, but everyone's kind of on, on an even playing field to a certain extent. And for some reason, every game in the AFC North, apart from last year's Ravens Bengals, two games for complete blowouts, but for the most part, almost every single game in the AFC North is very close. Like, we always have those games that are super close. The Bengals and the Browns games, both last year, both ended in one-position games. I believe one was by four, the other one was by three. So, I mean, they were super close. Of course, the Bengals beat the Steelers last year and lost the other game, and, you know, they got hammered both times by the Ravens. But the Bengals were at the bottom of the division, and we're still pretty close to the other teams. Forgot the Chiefs and the, and the Patriots. You know, they were blowing out of the rivals every single time. There was maybe one upset each year, but that was barely maybe. And it really felt like the Patriots were just beating all the teams pretty easily while every other team in that division was just splitting games, right? That's why they end up climbing to be so much ahead of the others. Well, for the AFC North, it's a lot more even. It's a lot of just split games in general. Like, I mean, the but Browns the Ravens almost always split. The, the difference Steelers for you guys is the fact that you had two of the five best teams over the last decade and a half. You guys had Baltimore and Pittsburgh, who were two of the best teams, right. two of the six best teams over the last, what, 15 years? Yeah. And that, that, that's going to hurt us in the long run. Uh, that's what hurt us in the long run because we didn't have, we had to deal with getting swept twice each year. That's what kind of ended up killing us. But I think now recently, at least, uh, and, you know, throughout 2015, to a certain extent, the Browns really fell apart. We were the 0-16 team. They were the they were the the chumps of, of pretty much all football because of how good all three other teams were. But you know, a- after that, and what we're at now, I mean, the Bengals are, I think, for sure, the worst team in the division. But 
you know, they're not, they're not slouches by any means. I mean, this is, that's a team that can beat you any given night. Right. So I, I think at least at this point, there's more balanced where the worst team might be a little bit better than what it has been in the past. Like, you know, we always had the Browns be always suck, like an easy win. We had the Bills a couple of years be pretty bad, but I think at this point, the Bills have built the roster to be, you know, still maybe a six, seven win team, but I, I think a team that you can't look over. Right. Yeah. I would say that that division just getting better across the board, but also with the exception of maybe Baltimore, none of those teams are the elite teams of the NFL anymore. Like when we think of the elite teams, we think of Kansas city. We think of, um, I mean, for a while, the Patriots, they did just have a dynasty. I know they're kind of falling off now, but they did just have a dynasty. You could argue it got replaced by the bills, um, the Packers, the Seahawks, I mean, the Seahawks, not necessarily so much recently. They've kind of been in that average tier. The Saints, we don't necessarily think of Baltimore, Pittsburgh, or Cleveland as like elite, elite teams of the last five years. Baltimore is the one exception I would throw in there, that Baltimore has been elite at times with Lamar Jackson, but Pittsburgh, not since they lost that AFC championship game five years ago. Have they really been a legitimate threat to win a championship? Um, Cincinnati was never there. Cleveland, I still don't think is there this year, although you could make an argument. But, you know, Cleveland, as great, as much as the, re- the fun turnaround has been. So I think that's just the difference is that the division is getting more equal instead of more top heavy over the last five years going into the next decade. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly correct. I mean, that's exactly how it is in, in my eyes. I think it's the most, it's getting to the point where it's balanced and that, that can hurt a team for sure, but it also creates more competition to where it might be easier for each of these teams whenever they make a playoffs to, to do better, right? Because you're going to have more stiff competition all around. So, you know, playing the Browns and the Steelers two times uh, uh, throughout the season for the Ravens is going to be a very good playoff experience because they're two, t- two teams that are going to be right in the playoff conversation. So, you know, that, that is pretty good for them, I think. And, and with all this balance that is happening now, um, maybe it can make all them better. You know, I've always been – I've always heard and, and I've been told and I agree, competition breeds success. And usually the most competitive divisions are normally the ones that do the best in, in, when it comes to the playoffs. So I think it's great for like the, uh, you know, NFC East, for example, with like um, – not NFC East, <laughs> uh, the, the uh, NFC West with um, – with, uh, you know, the Seahawks, 49ers, Cardinals, I mean, Rams, they're all going to be so competitive against each other. And I think it's really going to give them a little a leg up when it comes to playoff time because they're going to have, they're going to be used to playing these good teams already. They're already going to, they're not going to be given free games by any means. So they're going to know that, hey, this is all or nothing. Maybe true about the NFC West, but if I ask you who are the best teams in the NFC right now, which ones would you give me? Who are the, who are the two best teams in the NFC? Assuming Rodgers plays, it, it's probably Green Bay and Tampa. Yeah, it's Green Bay and yeah. Tampa. So even though you've got all the great teams I, in the NFC the Rams West, are probably third. That's true, but the Rams could also be a wild card team because the 49ers and Seahawks could theoretically win that division. And this is where we get the problems of beating each other up all the time. And then we get into the... The beating each other up all the time is what I like to call the uh, AFC South problem because the AFC South for 20 years is just everyone beating each other up. Someone gets a four seed and they play a meaningless wildcard game on ESPN. Been the same division for 20 years. And it's really a weird anomaly in the NFL. But 
this is where the problem comes in of if everyone does beat each other up and you have to play six games a year against a really tough division, then you don't get the 14 and two team that comes away unless that 14 and two team is just like miles better than everyone else. Like um, that second Seahawks team that went to the Super Bowl, tough division, but just miles better than everyone else that year. Yeah. And that's when it gets me the most impressive, right? Like when you see those teams dominate while those other teams aren't slouches either, uh, that's what makes it really impressive. And uh, we don't see that too often. We, like I said, we saw it with the Seahawks team. I think we might be seeing it soon with the Chiefs in that division. I think that division's not going to be, you know, maybe outside of the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to fall off a little bit. But I think the Broncos and Chargers both are going to be pretty solid teams and no slouches at all. But I think it's pretty still clear that the Chiefs are definitely the top dogs and they're still going to find a way to win 14 maybe even 15 games this year uh, with that division. So, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely think that's probably the most impressive of the group. But, you know, like I said, I, I think that as long as you are I, – I hate being stuck in, in divisions where you have this, you know – yeah, I hate being stuck in the NFC East or the AFC South. Like, you just don't want to be stuck to the point where it's just like, you know, teams that are solid but aren't going to prepare you for playoff time, you know? Yeah. It's just everyone beating each other up all the time. And in the end, the NFC East problem, though, is that they were supposed to have an elite team and it was the Giants. The problem is that the Giants just missed on every single draft pick over the last five years. And so now they've got just enough to be mediocre with the rest of the division where the Cowboys were going to be mediocre. By the way, I had a I had a mind bleep during hard knocks this week when I found out that Dak and Zeke's run was six years ago, that year that they were. 13 and three and won the division. That was six years ago. It made me feel so old. <laughs> that team was Dak and Zeke rookies winning 13 games and losing on the toe tapper with Aaron Rodgers. That was six years ago. Now that team has been basically the same ever since. I think they won like one playoff game against the Seahawks, but they've just been media or they've just been average to good ever since. I did not need to be told I was 14 whenever that happened. I feel that's just wild (laughs) that is wild that was six years ago that they they're it made me i'm like they've been together for over a half decade now dak and zeke have been running i've been running the cowboys as that nine and seven team every year for a damn half decade now which it just freaked me out just hearing it i was like that can't be possible that felt like it was yesterday (laughs) Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not a Cowboys fan and I had to live through that every year. <laughs> that would be terrible. I mean, yeah, they're the ultimate case for what you're talking about with it's better to be bad or great than in the middle. Because the Cowboys, I mean, I could get the numbers right, but weren't they like average every year with Tony Romo towards the end? Um, yeah. It felt like they were <laughs> they always were like kind of in the Tony middle. Romo's entire career. Yeah. I mean, they had the couple playoff runs, um, but it felt like towards the end, they were average every year until Romo injured his back. So here's the list. So Tony Romo takes over in 07, that year that they won like 13 games or something and lost to the Giants that ended up going to the Super Bowl. Um, next year, they go 9-7, and 11-5. and five. That was the one playoff game they won that I remember. So they go 11-5, and 6-10. and 10. Oh, I nailed it. Then they go... Eight and eight, eight and eight, eight and eight. Three straight years of eight and eight with Tony Romo at his peak healthiness um, and just getting a big contract. Then they go 12 and four, 
and win a playoff game against the Lions, but they were uh, a weaker 12 and four. Then Tony Romo injures his back and they bottom out. So they go from being middle of the pack every year for five years to bottom out four and 12. Next year, get the number one seed in the NFC. And then after that, it's just mediocrity nine and seven, 10 and six, eight and eight, six and 10 after that. So they are over the last three years in the exact same position they were in with Tony Romo, 24 and 24 over three seasons. Exact same thing they did from 2011 to 2013 with Tony Romo. So they're just eight and eight every year, except the one time they went down, they finally got to being elite for a short period of time with Dak and Zeke. It, it really, yeah. I mean, I guess there was that short time where they, they were pretty good. But listen, I, I remember, you know, I, I was still, I mean, I was pretty young whenever it happened. But I remember whenever Dak Prescott was drafted in like, what was it, the fourth round of the draft, right? It was, I think, third like, round crazy? compensatory. Okay. All right. So, yeah, late, late in the third round. And I, I remember thinking, I was like, why is he so low? And, you know, I, you know, Part of me look back on it now, and you know, I was just thinking, like, hey, I, I just thought that because of Mississippi State were the best, was the best team in the country that year, and of course, I would think that, hey, the, the quarterback on the best team in the country is that good. But you know, ended up kind of being my my you know past self ended up being kind of right in a certain way because we kind of forget like how dominant Dak Prescott was in college and how it almost completely translated over to the NFL in almost every single way possible. You know, he's not like he's he's not going to be. That I mean, I don't know. He might be. I was gonna say he's not gonna be in the top of MVP conversations every year, but he's still gonna be a guy that can definitely be, uh, you know, a playoff winning caliber guy as long as he has a good roster around them. But I say that yet here we are. They have solid rosters around them all the time, but they can never really get to the point where they're really contenders. It just depends, yeah. I guess. It depends on injuries. Depends on how good the defense is. The defense is definitely taking a hit for several years now. Um, but you know, it, it, I think that you definitely like what you have in a guy like Dak Prescott. And I, I'm still a believer in Dak for sure. Well, and the interesting thing with the Cowboys is that it feels like they built the exact same team all over again, where you've got an expensive quarterback, you paid for a couple top end people and that Jerry Jones knows one form of roster construction, which is pay everyone a bunch of money, be average, then kind of either draft a generational superstar or bottom out, draft a generational superstar, get great, pay them, be average. It's kind of been the model for 20 years now to be just good enough. You can have one or two bad seasons mixed in there, but just good enough to get by. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I hate that. I hate being just good enough to get by. Like, yeah, I would they're, rather, they're the, they I would are the rather... perfect example for what you were talking about that it's better to be good than to be bad. Or it's better to be good or bad than average. That's what I meant to say. Right. I would rather be one of the extremes, you know, because the Browns positioned themselves to where they were so historically bad. that They got every single asset to probably have one of, if not the most talented all around roster in the NFL. That's the way I would want it. I would either want to be one in 15 one, or one in 16, two in 15 uh, a season and then eventually be. 13 and 4, 14 and 3, they'd just be 10 and 6 or 10 and 7 and making the playoffs and losing in the first round every year. That's what that's why I would rather have the extremes. I think you have to suffer through some four seasons to get to the point where you're good. The Chiefs did it, the Browns are doing it. 
you know, maybe even the Ravens in the past getting Ronnie Stanley, stuff like that. They certainly somewhat did it. There are certain teams out there, like for some reason, Pittsburgh can just win and win somehow win Super Bowls. But now we're starting to see them kind of become one of those teams where they're just constantly mediocre because they can't make it too far in the playoffs. So, I mean, it, it's just there's there certain teams that it works for and there's certain teams that don't. But I think one thing is more consistent than the other, and that is normally you see when a team reaches a certain amount of low, eventually they'll hit a very high uh, ceiling. And that's what I would like to see is, you know, for teams like the Bengals or the Cowboys to hit their high ceilings and be able to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Cause that's the ultimate goal if you're in the NFL for sure. Well, the Cowboys <laughs> did hit their high ceiling. It just happened to be what six years ago, as we found out. Um, the part with the Steelers that's funny is the reason Kevin Colbert is a Hall of Fame GM and Mike Tomlin is a Hall of Fame coach is that they get gems at the bottom of the draft that other teams don't. It's the same reason Baltimore got great. Yeah, Baltimore had one bad season where they got Ronnie Stanley, but they got Lamar Jackson at pick 32. Pittsburgh got TJ Watt at pick 30. Uh, traded up to get Devin Bush with a middle middling pick traded their first round pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick. Steelers have been really good with less or middle of the pack picks and turning it into good things. Antonio Brown, sixth round pick, Le'Veon Bell, third round pick, Chase Claypool, second round pick. They've been really good at picking talent and developing it, which is why Kevin Colbert's going to go to the Hall of Fame and why Mike Tomlin's going to go to the Hall of Fame. You know, TJ Watt was drafted in the, with a late first round pick, which I, you know, I, I wasn't a big scouter guy that back then, but I know a lot of people were like really hot take, and I was like, please be terrible. <laughs> Here we are. So, yeah. uh, you know, they, they hit on their picks, and that's what's most important. I mean, the Steelers are definitely one of the better drafting teams in the NFL, and I think they're going to do it again this year with with Najee Harris, and maybe even guys like Pat Fryer, maybe Buddy Johnson, people like that. I think could be pretty solid for their team. Uh, and you know, we're going to see some other past draft picks, Cam Sample, Justin Lane, uh, Terrell Edmonds, going to get their shots of, of improving and getting better and, and becoming. Prime, uh, prime members of this team. So I want to see how it works. But I, I definitely think Pittsburgh's been a, historically one of the better drafting teams in the, in the NFL. And it's, it's harder to hit the picks in the, in the bottom of the first round and then bottom in general, but it's not impossible. And that's why teams like the, or the, the Patriots, the, the, the Steelers, all those teams uh, are always so good because they're, they're one of those few teams that can do it well consistently. They can have a bottom pick and still find a prime good player for your team. And only when you stop hitting on those picks do you start becoming mediocre, like the Dallas Cowboys are right now, like the Patriots are trying to avoid becoming, but I guess they were last year. The Seahawks. Seahawks. But the Seahawks have a Hall of Fame quarterback, so instead of being a mediocre eight-win team, they get to be an above-average 10-win team every year. And never, the stat was more victories in a six-year stretch than any team that never made a conference final over the last six years. They won 67 games over the last six years. It's the most of any team that never made a conference finals. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I guess that is sort of like what I was saying. I like guess mediocre, I guess, in a way. You're, you're better than the it's regular. It's above season, average. Yeah, it's above then, average. But... Yeah, so I, I don't know, but... <laughs> I definitely think that the Seahawks had plenty of opportunities to, to make the win the playoffs. They just had some unlucky moments, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. You got another podcast to do tonight. So please <laughs> get more coffee. Still one in the morning right now where you are like, please just <laughs> please take care of yourself for the rest of the night. And uh, 
we will we will send you off here with the uh, wonderful statisticals analyses of Easton Stick to put a nice bow on this podcast. Easton Stick is four for four, 36 yards and a 104 completion or 104 passer rating right now. So let's go Easton Stick. Going. Yes. Yeah, I like how we're talking about him earlier and here he is performing pretty well. Yeah, four for four completed all four passes. Just good enough to make the practice squad behind Chase Daniel, who I just I did find out he was a charger like earlier in camp. I was like, oh, that's where Chase Daniel is now. Hey, I, I want to throw out Larry Roundtree. I mean, you asked me uh, uh, in the podcast a long time ago, uh, it, what's what's the next Philip Lindsay of this class? I said Larry Roundtree, who, who actually ended up getting drafted despite me not thinking he would. Uh, but here he is performing pretty well for the Chargers. Five rushes, 30 yards. Hasn't done too much, but he's got an average of six yards per, per carry. So he's doing pretty well so far. Chargers got so many running backs. I think it's going to be pretty good for them. Uh, Justin Jackson's their number two, obviously, but they got Joshua Kelly in there. Uh, they got Bradwell. They got, they got some dudes there. Chargers got some running backs behind Austin Eckler. They got, they got a lot. They're, they're a good team deep. Yes. Chargers. Chargers preseason analysis, third string Chargers preseason analysis is a great way to put a bow on this podcast. You're not going to get that from anywhere else. (laughs) No, you are not. You're not going to get Easton Stick and Larry Roundtree analysis live here on the Take It Easy podcast. (laughs) This is prime content that we've all been waiting for but these are guys that i love so i'm interested in talking about them i would love to hear other people talk about them yeah so because yeah, i'm well myself person. while i can yeah you're just I'm a insane. crazy person <laughs> anyways thank you i appreciate it thank you very much you have a wonderful day thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.